Well, good evening, and it's great to be here with you tonight. I want to thank Pastor for the opportunity to speak tonight. And I sure do miss my church family, but these online messages have been uplifting to me. And I uh, just appreciate that uh, and the challenge to be here tonight. Well, um, we're finished up in a Sunday school lesson. We're finishing up a section, of course, on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And with Brother Mike last week, we looked at um, Christ's ascension. And then tonight, we, uh, our message is called Watching and Waiting. We're looking for the coming again of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, as we get started tonight, I want you to think about a couple things. What's some important things in your life that you've been waiting for? You know, I thought about in my life when I, when I grew up as a teenager, some of the things I was waiting for uh, was to get my driver's license. I couldn't wait to get my driver's license to be able to get out to drive. And then couldn't wait to be 18 because that meant you were an adult for whatever that was. I mean, some of us would like to go back at times, uh, but we, we always wanted to be an adult. And then I thought about uh, when I went to Bible college and I, I met my wife the first week of Bible college. And I remember the anticipation of getting engaged and then the anticipation of getting married. And I remember waiting for that. And then after we were married, I looked at the opportunity of my kids being born. That was exciting, uh, waiting for each child to be born. And then now, my grandkids as they've been born, and then watching each step and, and uh, phase as they grow up. But you know, we, it is difficult for us. It is difficult for us to wait for things at times, whether it be good or whether it be bad. As we anticipate things, waiting is hard for us. In our society today, everything is instant. How many of you remember on the internet when you had to do dial-up internet? You had to sit there and wait for the internet to come, and it seems like you had to wait forever to get online. And just things like that. Maybe you get in the, you go to the restaurant, you're, uh, you know, now you can't go to the restaurant, but you go through the drive-thru, the line's longer because nobody can go in the restaurant, so you sit, you sit in the drive-thru. But um, we need to think about those things as we go forward here. So let's go ahead and move into our slides tonight. And uh, we'll take a look here at different things that, are, that, that we're doing here. And it says, uh, for our Connect thing today, we're going to see how we are to wait confidently for Christ to return, even when it's difficult to do so. See, most of us would, wanna, would love to just go to heaven right now. We'd love for Christ to come back uh, to, to call us up for the rapture. And we'd just love for that to happen. But... What, what is it that keeps us waiting? Well, I don't know about you, but I have many loved ones and friends that I still want to be saved. So if, if Christ comes right away, comes right now, those people won't have that opportunity. And, um, of course, I want to see people saved, and that's the main reason for the delay. But as we wait on Christ, he's given us so many blessed promises to look forward to his coming and then ultimately to our home in heaven with him. And I don't know about you, but that excites me to have a home in heaven. And so um, we're going to be in the book of Mark today, Mark chapter 13, as we look at the return of Christ. So get your Bible out, and we'll take a look at Mark chapter 13. Uh, this chapter in Mark is called the Olivet Discourse because it takes place on the Mount of Olives. Uh, after when we first start the chapter, they'll be going out of uh, the, the uh, temple and then end up on the Mount of Olives. Uh, but it's called the Olivet Discourse. Some objectives for tonight's lesson. As we look at objectives in the next slide, it says, Know that Christ told his followers what would happen before he returns to get them. 
Um, you know, in the Bible, isn't that the wonderful thing? Christ gave us the Bible. That's his instruction manual for our Christian walk. And isn't that exciting that we have instructions from our Lord and Savior? If you'll notice one thing about Mark chapter 13, almost the whole thing, if you have a red letter edition which tells you when Christ is speaking, you'll notice that almost the whole chapter Christ is speaking except for just the first couple of verses. So it's exciting. And then think in the objective, I'm confident that Christ will return to make all things right. Are you ever like me? You kind of get stuck in the day-to-day and you're, and you're focused on just that. And you're not focused on what Christ has promised you. You're not focused on what Christ has done. Some people call it, say, seeing the big picture. See, sometimes you're focused like a horse with blinders. You're focused on something small. But the big picture is that we do have a home in heaven. It's being prepared for us right now by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we will be there one day. And we'll get to see our Savior face to face, and that is exciting. You know, as we looked at Easter time, the death, burial, resurrection, then the ascension of him going up into heaven and being at the right hand of the Father until he comes again. Just the excitement of that. And then lastly, to do, to love and serve Christ in difficult times, waiting confidently for his return. Um, You know, it's not like, is it going to happen? Maybe it'll happen. It's a sure thing. And so we have confidence in Christ. Even that's what keeps you going during the difficult times of your life is when you, you know, you stay focused on Christ and you know that confidently he's going to return. See, I could say something and and make a promise and intend to keep that promise, but something may come up where I can't keep that promise. With God, that's not the way it is. The promise is there, and it will be fulfilled, and that's exciting. And that's, by the way, the Bible shows us fulfilled prophecy. That's why it shows that. And when we come together with believers or when you share things on there, it's nice because it, it builds my faith when God works in your life, and it should build your faith when he works in my life. And uh, I'm just happy for that. Well, next we have a timeline here. Uh, and on this timeline... Um, it shows you in A.D. 29, of course, John the Baptist was on the scene and, and uh, Jesus was baptized. And then Jesus' ministry began. It's so interesting to me that he lived uh, really 29 years before he started his ministry, his actual public ministry. And, you know, even that, you know, the, just the, the time frame of that, the anticipation of that happening, of him having his public ministry. And then the other thing on the timeline is A.D. 33. That's when Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and then, of course, the ascension that we talked about last week uh, took place. All right, well, let's go ahead and move into point number one on our lesson tonight. And again, we're in Mark chapter 13, and we're going we're gonna to read the first eight verses here. Uh, so you can uh, follow along with me as I read them here. So 13, uh, Mark chapter 13, verse 1 says this, And as he went out of the temple... One of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Verse 2 says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. Verse 6 says, For many shall come in my name, 
saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 7, And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. And verse 8, the last part of our passage here says, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. So as we look at these first eight verses, when I, when I studied for this, the, the ones that really popped out to me uh, would have been verse 2. You know, verse 2. Um, it, it says here, Jesus answers to them and says, Seest thou these great buildings? He says, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Do you realize that everything in this life that we deal with decays and falls apart, including us? Our bodies decay, and eventually um, we pass on from this life and get to go into our home in heaven. Uh, but everything decays, and so they're looking at this great feat of the temple and the different things that are built there, and they're, they're amazed by it, and Jesus tells them, all this is going to be thrown down, it's going to be destroyed. And imagine looking at something and going, wow, this is, this is going to be destroyed one day. And, and you know, they're, they're, they're look, as the disciples did, and often as we do, we look at the temporal too much. We look at temporary things that really don't matter as much. Instead of focusing on the eternal things that Jesus, Jesus tries us again to see the whole picture, to be focused on him in all that we do, and to focus on him and not the temporal things. But so often we get wrapped up in these temporal things. And then jumping down to verse 4 here. Jumping down to verse 4. These are the, these are the two questions that the disciples ask. They say, tell us, when shall these things be? So in other words, they, they are asking directly, hey, when, when is this temple going to be destroyed? When are these things going to fall down? What, what, do you, what do you mean? When is this going to happen? Then the, the second part of the verse says, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? You know, I think the disciples were often confused about Christ's timeline. Even up to the week of his death, I don't think they realized that that was the week of his death, even though Christ was explaining that to them. I don't think they realized that. Uh, I think like many people of his time, they thought Jesus would just usher them right into his kingdom. Uh, you know, the whole, you know, he was here and he would usher us in, and I think they had to figure things out just like you and I need to figure it out. Aren't you glad we have the word of God complete? We have the complete picture in this time in our, in our history. We have the complete Bible the disciples didn't have that. In fact, many of them were, would be writing it, obviously. But as we look at that and we look at the Scripture, they ask these two questions. and I, I, Jesus not only answers their questions, but he answers many questions they didn't ask. Because, you know, you ever, you ever get a chance to ask a question and you get done with the question and it's, maybe it's something very important or maybe you're on the phone with somebody or you're talking to them in person, they're getting ready to leave or go off the phone... And you, as soon as you hang up or as soon as you leave the conversation and you lose the chance to talk to that person, you say, oh, I wish I would have asked this question. I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have probed them more to figure out what is it I could learn from them. And so uh, Jesus starts in verse 5 here, and he says, answering them, he began to say, take heed lest any man deceive you. You, you notice that Christ's first thing out of his mouth was, be careful, there's going to be people out there that try to lead you the wrong way. Well, really think about it. Jesus' time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, 
They misled many people. They got wrapped up, so wrapped up in the law that they forgot about that Christ was the Messiah. They didn't see the Messiah. Here they, they spent their whole lives studying the scriptures and, and finding out that the Messiah was coming. And then when the Messiah came, they missed it. And then not only did they miss it, they misdirected the people about who Christ really was. They sure didn't think he was the Son of God. They, they sure didn't uh, believe that he was the Messiah. So the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is, take heed lest anybody uh, do that. And then he says in verse 6, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And then going on to verse 7, it says, When you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must need be, but the end shall not be yet. So in other words, isn't it nice that he takes time right after that to comfort the disciples? He comforts them. He tells them, be not troubled. I don't know about your life. Uh, it's easier to say, don't worry about it, than it is if you're the one that's worrying about it. You know, um, you, could, you could say, if I'm telling somebody, say, hey, just don't worry about that. God has that. He has it under control. But when it's something in my life, that's a tougher thing to do. But the disciples don't realize when Christ now has, uh, you know, you know if we looked at, he had the death, burial, resurrection, and then after he ascended up into heaven, after those 40 days of appearing, you think about it. The disciples were now alone. Now, they're not really alone. They have Christ with them. They have the Holy Spirit that's going to come. And, and as they look at that, they have help, but they're going to be alone. They're going to be out without their teacher. They're going to be a, 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 without their Savior. And again, he's there with them, but he's not going to be, no longer going to be with them physically present where they can see him and take instructions from him. And so he says, be not troubled. Now look what he says, for such things must needs be. In other words, this stuff has to happen before I can come again. And so we have to remember that in our lives. As we face what, we're, what we face in our lifetime, we have to remember that these things, things are necessary. We can't skip steps. You ever tried to skip steps when you're assembling something and you either end up with the wrong shape or you end up with extra parts? I'm, I'm good at ending up with extra parts. I always have extra parts when I build things. But you know, if you follow the instructions, you'll get to the right end and you'll get to, to the costume. So God's left us, Christ specifically, has left us instructions here. And he says, but the end shall not be yet. In other words, he's saying, it's not going to just be instant. You know, we're, we're in the life right now where it's instant gratification. You know, you think about it, even at a fast food place, if it's taken more than like three minutes to get your order, you're thinking, what's going on? You know, and you think about, I think about growing up in my house, it was a long time before we had a microwave. And I remember having to waiting for stuff, to, different things to cook and things, and you think, man, this takes forever. But now I catch myself in my own life saying, man, there's two minutes on the microwave. How long is this two minutes going to take? You know, but we're just used to instant gratification. And Christ says, no, these things are necessary before I can return. And then in verse 8, he mentions that for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places and there shall be famines and troubles. And then notice what he says in, at the very last thing in verse 8 of this section we're talking about. This is the statement he makes. These are the beginnings of sorrows. You know, that's a tough thing. When you say the beginning of sorrows, what does that mean? It means you're not even to the middle yet. You're not to the end yet. The beginning of sorrows. Um, and so he's telling them, do you have a lot to go through in this physical life before you're going to get to my kingdom? 
There's a lot that has to happen. And you're going to go through things that you're not even aware of. And of course, Christ was aware of them. He knows all. So let's go back to our slides here for a moment here. And look at our next slide here. And talk about how uh, the first part in verse 7, where Jesus warned about false teachers and false messiahs who would come forward claiming to be the solution to the world's problems. He also said wars and natural uh, disasters are merely a part of the troubles that people must endure before uh, Jesus returns. And again, we just mentioned about this being the beginning of sorrows. And then our next slide says, be on guard against false teachers and false teachings. Don't be alarmed by wars and natural disasters. And then it mentions a question for you and I. It says, what are some examples of false religious teachings in our culture today? Well, that could be a long list. And one thing I'm glad about in this church, you won't hear false teaching. Pastor Sidlowski always preaches right out of the Bible. And he preaches directly to us. And we have our own Bible to look at it. So, but we're always to be on guard for that in our life. Because I don't know about you, you come in contact with many people and even amongst Christians, there are so many different beliefs about things. But I thought about a couple things under this false teaching in our culture today. Uh, one is that, I've heard this many times in my life, Jesus was a good man or a prophet, but not the Son of God. I've heard that. Um, you know, there's no way Christ could be a good man or a good prophet if he wasn't the Son of God, because he claimed to be equal with God, which is blasphemy if he's not God himself. So think about that. You can't say that he was a good man or a good prophet if he said those things that he was equal with God. That's, that wouldn't be accurate. Another thing I thought of about false religious teaching, this is really rampant in our culture today, there's many ways to heaven. There's only one way. The Bible's very clear. Uh, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's very clear. Very clear. In, in 1 John chapter 5, and it's, it's, I think Pastor had a verse on that this morning, it said, it says in there, if you have Christ, you have eternal life. If you don't have him, you don't. It's very clear that there's one way to heaven. So that's, that's a false teaching that comes up in our culture a lot today. Then the third one I thought of, and I've heard people say this before, the Bible is not 100% accurate. Boy, that is a terrible statement to make when this is the word of God and every word in it is true. And so, if, if, what, if, if, no, if one part of the Bible is not true, doesn't that, wouldn't that make you think there's another part of the Bible that might not be true? So all the Bible is true, and that's the neat thing. God cannot lie. Do you realize that's something you can do that God can't do? You can tell a lie, but God can't. It's against the nature of God. And so as you, as you look at that, those are just three of the things I thought of. I'm, think, I'm sure you could think of many others of people about the false teachings today. Let's go on to our next slide here. And it's, again, it says, to be on guard against false prophets and false teachings. Don't be alarmed by wars and natural disasters. Of course, we've seen that in our lifetime. We see it in our culture even today. And then how, the question is, how can believers today do a better job of equipping themselves and their children to resist false teaching? Well, you know, this point is so important because in our culture today, even as Christians... We're, we're good at giving people the gospel. We're good at wanting them to get saved. But the problem is once they get saved, we drop the ball when it comes to discipleship. If you get a person saved and you get them grounded in the word of God, you know, Pastor mentions often that Gene Hawk and Vern Sorensen, for over a year, 
when Vern got saved, Gene, Gene Hawk would disciple him every Wednesday night before the Wednesday night service for about an hour before the service, and then they would come into the church service. But, you know, that, that makes sure a person is grounded in the Word of God. Discipleship classes. I want to encourage you to get the, you know, I know uh, Brother Mike and Pastor and others have mentioned books that we can get into your hands that would help you with that so you'll be grounded, so you won't be carried away by false doctrine. But what's the main thing we can do every day? Read scripture. I mentioned it already. Pastor Sidlowski teaches right out of the Word of God. So when he teaches, you know what I do? I have my Bible open and I'm checking the Bible. I can be confident in what Pastor Sidlowski says because the Bible reinforces everything he's saying. And so as you look at that, have your Bible out when scripture's being taught. If somebody tells you, teaches you something, maybe you hear somebody at work or you hear another believer share some point with you, Go back and look it up in the scripture. Know, know what you know from the Bible and not just from hearsay or common thought or that kind of thing. Always know from the Bible that why you believe what you believe. Check everything against scripture. All right, well, let's move on to point number two now. Point number two tonight. And it says, the return of Christ will be preceded by Christians being persecuted. You know, I thought about this little section here. And I've got to honestly say, as a Christian in America, I have faced very little persecution. Um, you know, we like to say we're being persecuted, and, and there are ways we are. But I think about in my lifetime, this is the most serious, probably, of my persecution. I've been made fun of before because of my belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, people have laughed and said, I can't believe you believe in that made-up story or a fable or whatever. So I've been laughed at. Uh, out on visitation or talking to people, I've had the door slammed in my face. And then lastly, I thought about, um, you know, in different um, relationships with close friends and family. Uh, pastors talked about this before. When he became a Christian, you don't have to distance yourself from the people, the lifestyle of the people that are living the wrong way. They will automatically distance themselves from you. That happened in my life. Uh, as soon as I became a Christian and started living for God, I immediately, people didn't want to talk to me or, or about that. As unless they were a Christian, they didn't want to talk about it. And they slowly distanced themselves from my life. And so, um, but really, that's probably the, the most I could think of. When I was sitting there th thinking about this lesson, I was trying to think about, how have I been persecuted in this life for Christ? And you know, I hear about things that happen to Christians um, mostly in other countries. Once in a while you hear a pretty bad case in America, but when you think about some of the things that have happened to different Christians, and even, what we're, even tonight we're going to look at a verse that talks about what the disciples went through, and I can't say that I've truly been persecuted. Um, I definitely feel the spiritual warfare. When you're witnessing to somebody and you're telling them about the Lord, Satan will do everything to keep that person from trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And when you're teaching truth, you always feel the opposition. You feel the, uh, because the, the, it, it really goes against the grain of what the world uh, teaches. Uh, everything that truth that we teach from God's word, it goes against that. So that's the most there. But let's go ahead and look at um, Mark chapter 13, verses 9 through 13. So let's go ahead and go to the scripture here. And it says this, in verse 9 it says, But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten. You shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Now, I want you to think about this. We read through this section. You think specifically about the disciples here and about believers. So let's move on to verse 10 here. And it says, The gospel 
must first be published among all nations. And then it says, but when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do you premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. And then going on to verse 12, it says, Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. Verse 13 says, And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So as we look at this next little passage of Scripture, he tells the disciples, he gives them a little glimpse of their future. And he says to them in verse, let's go back to, uh, let's go back here at verse 9, because there's so much in it here in verse 9. It says, but take heed to yourselves, he's telling the, the disciples, and then it says, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues you shall be beaten. See, it happened to Christ, but Christ says, it didn't just happen to me, it's going to happen to you also. And he says, you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. In other words, he says, Christ says, things are going to happen to you because of me, because of my name. You know, when you share the gospel and it's rejected, or when you talk about the things of God, or when you try to live the life that God's commanded in the Bible, and you come up against opposition, it's not really you that they're opposing. It's your Savior, Jesus Christ. See, you know, in most of our world today, and especially in America, if you talk about God, most people are okay with that. But then when you start narrowing it down and you say, it's only through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, that changes things. Because then you're defining a very clear uh, biblical standpoint. And there's always going to be op opposition to that, just like there was to our Savior when he was physically here on earth. And so, you know, he's telling the disciples, you, you can't expect not to get some opposition. You can't expect not for things not to happen to you because, of, uh, because you're my followers. So uh, in verse 9, it mentions that. And then let's go on to verse 10. This is very interesting. In verse 10, it says, before Jesus comes back, it says, the gospel must first be published among all nations. You know, one of the reasons I know that the disciples did a good job getting the gospel out because I was able to get saved and somebody told me about the gospel. That means they did their job. They told the people that, everybody they could, would listen, they told them about Christ. And then those people told people and so on until it got down to you and I. And you and I have that same challenge. One of the last things Christ said is go and preach the gospel to every creature. So you and I have that job because, you know, all of us in this church, we know people that other people in the church won't come in contact with and we may be the only Christian and the only light for Jesus that they see. So our, how we live our life, very important. What we say, very important. We don't want to miss the opportunity to share Christ with others. And if you're like me, when the Holy Spirit has tugged on my heart to share the gospel to people, sometimes I've obeyed, but unfortunately, sometimes I've disobeyed. We have to be careful to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives, and when He tells us to do it, we need to do it. And there's, I don't know about you, but if you've never led somebody to, 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 to Jesus and they've trusted the Lord as their Savior, it's Christ that does the saving. I'm just giving them the message. It's Christ that saves them. But oh, what a joy floods you when you realize God was able to use you to tell them about Him 
and then they became a believer with an eternal home in heaven. There's no greater joy in life than that. I mentioned some, th- some things earlier in my life. I mentioned my wedding. I mentioned my kids. I mentioned my grandkids. But I'm going to tell you honestly, there's no greater joy in life than seeing somebody accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you know what? Sometimes it is your own family. When I met my wife, she was already born again. I was born again. But you know, when our kids were born, we both prayed that they would become believers, and God answered that prayer. Both of our kids became believers. And now I pray for my grandkids. Some of my grandkids have already accepted Christ. Some are too young. They don't know yet. But I'm praying for them to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. See, the gospel's got to be published among all nations. How's that going to happen? Well, one is the Word of God's going to get in there. Two, us. We're going to publish it. We're going to tell. And we have to tell. So that's important there. And um, let's go ahead and look at that next slide there. Um, and we, as we look at it, it says, G, uh, well, first of all, it says, the return of Christ will be preceded by Christians being persecuted. Then it says, Jesus admonished the disciples to be on their guard and foretold that they would be persecuted as they lived for Christ and proclaimed the gospel. Now, real quickly, I want to make a comparison here. Uh, you can just stay on that slide there, Mark. But as you, as you, as you, as back in verse Four, the disciples only asked two questions. They said, when shall these things be? And then they said, what shall be the sign? All these things shall be fulfilled. But you know, as Christ did a wonderful job of teaching, he's the greatest teacher, and of course, he answered more than what they did, but notice in verse 9, they, they, they didn't ask for that, but Christ said, take heed to yourselves. In other words, watch, for they shall deliver you up to councils in the synagogues, you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. I mean, think about that. And we all know that many of the disciples um, put to death in just such different ways. You know, the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist, was beheaded. I know that Peter asked to be crucified upside down so he, because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way that his Savior did. And the other disciples, many ways, you know, they, they didn't even realize the little bit of persecution when they were here on, when Jesus was here on this earth with them, they didn't even realize the persecution that was going to come in their lives to follow. And um, the day will come someday in America where the persecution will grow worse and worse. In fact, it really already is starting, but it, it really, like I mentioned earlier, um, those three things that I mentioned, being made fun of, the door slammed in my face, um, some relationships being broken because I believed in Christ and the other person did not. But, you know, those are really nothing in comparison to what we just read about in verse 9. It's, unbelie- it's unbelievable. It's crazy. Let's go to the next slide here, and it's a doorpost. In our Sunday school lesson, those of you guys know in our adult classes, when we hit the doorpost, these are key things that we want everybody that's studying the lesson to take a look at. And it says, being persecuted demonstrates that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare and that bad things happen because the world is a sinful place. You know, we have to separate the difference between being persecuted in general and being persecuted for Christ. See, everybody, everybody in this world faces, faces things like the loss of a job sometimes, a flat tire, um, different, not, the, having, not having the financial means to pay a bill, something like that. That's not the persecution we're talking about. Non-believers go through that. Believers go through that. But when we talk about being persecuted for Christ here, that's because we're engaged in a spiritual warfare. 
And like I said, anytime you preach the truth, whether it's one-on-one or whether it's in a Sunday school class, whether it's to vacation Bible school, whatever it is, at church, when you're preaching the truth, you're going to feel that spiritual warfare because you think about it. Satan's first goal is to keep anybody from accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Then his second goal is if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Satan doesn't want to see you grow in your Christian walk. And then lastly, of course, Satan does not want to see you being used by Jesus Christ to further the king, his kingdom. To be a te- Remember how we read in that ver- one verse where it will be a testimony against them. See, when you and I try to live like the Bible is commanded, see, I'm just a wicked sinner, and I needed a Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, just like he did for you. And I'm a wicked sinner, but you know what? Anything good that's going to happen in my life, it's going to be when I follow what Jesus Christ has asked me to do. And you know what? When I start doing that, that rubs other people the wrong way because they start to get convicted of what they're doing, and just like I was convicted and, and am convicted at times in my life. So as you look at this, spiritual warfare, we're engaged in that, and the enemy is going to fight. The enemy is going to do everything he can to stop God's plan. And then, again, bad things happen because the world is a sinful place. You know, remember when Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden? And, and, and God told them, after this, it's going to be hard for you. First thing, they had to have blood covering so that God, they had, to, God had to kill the animals and put the skin on them so that they would be covered from their nakedness. But, you know, beyond that, then they had to start working with the sweat of their brow. There was going to, uh, um, you know, Eve was going to have great pain in childbirth and so on. All the things that, that, that developed because of their sin. And, of course, the ultimate, thing, uh, the ultimate thing that comes from our sin is our physical death. But guess what? As a Christian, it's only physical death. It's not your spiritual death. You get to live forever in heaven with Jesus Christ. And that's the great news that we're telling people all the time. Hey, this life is not it. We, a pastor often says we take our last breath here, our first breath in heaven. It's, it's simultaneous. We end. But there's no in-between time. We're just there, and it's great. And so uh, on that doorpost, very important just to see that, hey, it is a spiritual warfare. It's not just flesh. That verse that we all know, it's, it's, you know, it's against powers and principalities and all those kind of things. All right, let's go on to that next slide there. And it says, Expect persecution as you follow Jesus Christ and share the gospel. And then it asks two questions here of us. It says, why should Christ followers expect to be persecuted? Um, My main reason, my main answer that I came up with as I studied this lesson, because Christ said so. Then it says, what does persecution look like uh, for Christ followers in our culture in other parts of the world? We kind of went over that a little bit. We've talked about how I've had very little persecution here in America uh, other than get your feelings hurt once in a while uh, because you stand up for Christ. But you've got to think about it. I said this before, but again, we are opposite of the world. We have a different view on family, life. We say the family is between a man and a wife just like God created it in Genesis. Life, we believe against abortion. Why? Because life is precious. The Bible says God even notices when a sparrow falls, when a bird falls, and all those kind of things. So we're opposite of that. All right, well, let's look at our last point tonight, and that's point number three. That's that the return of Christ will be preceded by a time of terrible tribulation. And um, let me just say this for the believer. We are going to have some persecutions and things we go through here in this lifetime, 
But for the believer, we are delivered in heaven where there are no more tears, no more crying, all that kind of thing. And so God has just prepared this wonderful place. And, you know, I don't have the greatest imagination in the world, but I know one thing. Heaven's going to be greater than any imagination I have. So as we look at this, we're looking at this time of tribulation here. Starting in verse 14, it says this. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, um, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Verse 15 says, And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of this house. Verse 16, And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray thee that your flight be not in the winter. For in these days, or those days, shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Verse 20, And except uh, that the Lord hath shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then, if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to, to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. Verse 25 says, And the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Verse 26, And then shall, the, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then verse 27, And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Do you see the, the doom and gloom up till you get to about verse 26? You see all this doom and gloom and then all of a sudden, look, look, look at verse 26 again real quick. I want to read that one again. Verse 26 and 27, it says, And then, after all that, they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of the heaven. See, it doesn't matter where the believer is. They're going to get gathered together. And you think about it. Um, going back, I just mentioned it a minute ago, but going back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were there and they were communing with God, right after they committed the sin, they ate from the fruit from the tree that they were forbidden not to. Right after that, they tried to go and hide from God. And, and, and you remember kind of God just asking them, where are you? God knew where they were. He knows where all of his believers are. There's no, you know, you're ever, you're ever afraid you're going to get left out on the bus? I think about, I wasn't on it, but I often hear on the trip to Israel how some people miss the flight for that last flight coming home. But you know, we don't have to worry about this as a Christian. We're not going to miss out. Christ is going to make sure that we're, we're there. So let's go ahead and look at our next slide here uh, on there. It says, the return of Christ again will be preceded by a time of terrible tribulation. Many scholars believe the events of this section refer to both near events, the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, and a great time of tribulation to take place in the last days. So again, encompassing more time than you would think of. We often think that when Christ came to this earth, died, was buried, rose again, and then ascended into heaven, that's, he literally started what we call the New Testament church. That's us today. We are the church. 
if there's one thing we found out because of this coronavirus and during this time, it's that these four walls that I'm standing in right now do not make up the church of God. It's the people, the Christians, that make up the church of God. And we've seen that more and more, uh, just seeing that uh, update from our missionary, the Struthers, just knowing that they're in the same boat as we are. They're, 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 they're going through the same thing we are, regardless of um, where they are at. But again, this time, talking about different things that are going to happen to the disciples, then talking about things that are going to happen even yet into the future. All right, let's go on to that next slide there. And it says, um, love and serve Christ in difficult times, knowing he will return for his followers. Um, you know, we think about those verses I read, those last couple that gave us such great hope, saying that Christ is coming again and then showing that, um, that he's going to gather up everybody. It says, why are love and service so important for the believer today? Well, you know, when I think of love, I think of that Bible verse that says, he, he loves us, uh, we love him because he first loved us. I'm sorry about that. But we love him because he first loved us. See, I know about love because God showed me what love is. He sent his son to die for me on the cross and provide a home in heaven for me. And then it says, why is service so important? Isn't just natural, you know, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we did that study through the book of Romans, Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it says, all the things it mentions in there, it says it's our reasonable service. It's only natural that if God loved me so much that he sent a Savior to this world, it's only natural that I should want to serve him and show his love to everybody. Not be selfish with it, but show it to everybody. Um, I've often said this, if somebody was physically drowning, I would do what I could to save them. Well, how much more is spiritual life and having a home in heaven important than that? See, if somebody drowns, even if I save them from drowning, I haven't saved them from eventual death in their life. But if I tell them about Jesus Christ and they accept him as Lord and Savior, they're saved forever, eternal salvation, not just temporary salvation, eternal salvation. And so then the second question it asks on this slide is, besides his return, what do you find to be your greatest source of motivation to serve the Lord? Again, it's his great love towards me and then knowing that I want that love. I want, I want everyone to know what I have. I have everything because I have Christ, and I want everybody to have that. Not just me, not just a select group, not just a select country, but the whole world. I want them to know, and I want them to have what I have. Next slide says, what are some of the false teachings we must guard against in our culture? Again, anything that is against the Word of God. Second question, what can we do to help us guard against ourselves and others? Against these false teaching, again, being in the Word of God, meditating on it, studying it, figuring out what God has to say about these things. And then what role does the Bible play in helping us guard against false teaching? It's everything. It's God's Word. God says His Word will last forever. Then the next slide says, what role do other believers play in helping us guard against false teaching? See, you have a family, you have a physical family that you were born into. When you became a believer, you were born into the family of God, which again is made up of all Bible-believing Christians uh, and, and uh, people that are saved around the world. But we need to guard each other. When we see somebody else come in and are falling for some false teachings or going, maybe they're going to a non-Bible-believing church. See, I know all about that. I got saved at 
12 in an Awana program, but I didn't walk into my first, uh, other than that, I, of course that was a Bible-believing church, but I didn't walk into another Bible-believing church. That happened when I was about 12. I didn't walk into another Bible-believing church until I was 19 years old. And you know what? It, I'm, I'm very fortunate that during that seven years from when I got saved at 12 till 19, that nobody came around and gave me a bunch of false teachings and led me astray. Now, I was already saved, so they couldn't have changed that, but I could have been, if I would have got involved in the wrong teachings, then that would have been not a good thing. So again, we need to help each other with truth and doctrine out of the Bible. And then it says, and so the Bible's everything in that. And then, um, what can I do this week uh, to help me guard against false teachings? Well, what can you do? Be in the Word of God. Listen to the messages. Um, you know, we have so many opportunities just out of this church, not, not even mentioning other Bible-believing churches, but you think about it. We have it, we, we have it probably more preaching than ever before because we have, we have our Sunday morning service. We have our Sunday night service. We hear preaching every day from LJ and Mike. Wednesday night, pastor comes back and gives us things. And then uh, now, with, for the men especially, this on Saturdays, we're going to have that 9 o'clock time where we can be in prayer. And so really, seven days a week, you can be engaged in the Word of God and learning from it. And so, as we look and as we get ready to close tonight, you know, we talked a lot tonight about the things to come, and then, of course, ultimately, looking at uh, what God has for every, everybody. And we've looked at that he has a home in heaven prepared. Well, guess what? I don't get to go to heaven because of any good thing I've done. I don't get to go to heaven because I'm a good person. I don't get to go to heaven for any specific um, thing I've done or event I've done. But the truth is, I get to go to heaven because it was a free gift offered to me by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all I had to do was open that gift. And that's what I did. And so what do we mean by opening the gift? Well, it means putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Just saying, Jesus, I know that you died for me on the cross. I know that you're providing me a home in heaven, and I just want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. See, the, the words themselves don't really even save you. Christ has already done that. What it is is the head knowledge that you have during, from the verses and things you've, you've learned in your life and that you hear from the preaching, what happens is you accept them into your heart and you believe what Christ says, that he is your Messiah and that he's your Savior. That's what gets you to heaven knowing for sure that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and that he's the only way to heaven. And that's the wonderful thing. We didn't have to earn it. The price was already paid for us by our Savior. So let me encourage you this week. I know that they have put up uh, different ways you can contact our church and different ways that you can reach out. Let me encourage you, uh, if you need to know more about that, get a hold of us. Tell us, connect with us. We'll, we'll be glad to connect with you and talk to you about these things and how you can know from the Bible for sure you're going to, say, to, you're going to go to heaven. And again, if you're contemplating that even right now, I want to encourage you to read 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 tells us we can know for sure we have an eternal life. It's not a guessing game. Well, again, I want to thank you for the, uh, thank Pastor for the privilege of being able to present the Word of God. I, I want to thank you, church family, uh, for allowing me to be in your homes tonight. 
And I just want to thank Jesus Christ. Without this, without him, it's, it, it's, it's just useless not to, 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 for anything but eternal things. Again, the temporal, just like we looked at tonight, the temporal things are going to go. Only the internal things are most important. All right, well, make sure you tune again in on Wednesday uh, for the Wednesday night service. Thank you very much. Good night.